Hi, I'm Alicia. And I'm Kayla. And you're listening to True Crime Exposed. Where me and my mom will bring you a new case discussion every week. We also advocate for victims through interviews with family, experts, survivors, and more. So there's this case of a young missing man who's from Idaho but went missing in Utah and his disappearance just happened and is being investigated right now. So I wanted to highlight his disappearance as we have a lot of listeners in Idaho and Utah since I'm from Idaho and my mom is in Utah. And this case is fresh, so I'm just going to relay the limited information there is as of now in an effort to spread this. And if you have any information, please call 1-813-993-2242. And after I highlight Dylan's case here at the beginning, that's going to lead us into a case that Dylan reminded me of. One that I just learned about that is a very cold case out of Idaho Falls. We're going to start with the case that is actively being investigated right now, and that's the case of Dylan Rounds. He's a 19-year-old male who's 5 foot 10 inches tall, and he weighs about 160 pounds. He was last seen in Lucin, Utah on May 25th, 2022, so just a few weeks ago, and he was reported missing to the Box Elder County Sheriff's, which is in Brigham City, Utah. Now, although he was last seen on May 25th, Dylan did make contact with his family who lives in eastern Idaho on the morning of May 28th, 2022. Dylan has been working in Lucin, Utah, which is in Utah near the border of Nevada, and he was there working at a dairy farm. I've never even heard of Lucin. Yeah, so it's like it must be nearby Brigham City, which for reference for you guys is a bit north of Salt Lake, like what, an hour north? It's just like north of Ogden. And so I think Lucin is just west of that, all the way over to the border of Nevada, next to Utah, which runs the side of Utah. And then on I the- ju- I just thought of that TikTok of that lady. What one? That was explaining how to say Ogden. Oh my gosh. We just, <laughs> before recording this, watched this TikTok and this lady was telling us how to say Ogden, Utah. And she's like, it looks like it'd be an O sound because it's an O. So you think it'd be O or ah, which it is because it's Ogden. <laughs> and, but she let everyone on TikTok know that it's Ugden. Ugden. U-G-G. Like the Ugg shoes. Ugden. Ugden. No, she's wrong. And I hope like I said, I hope she's doing that on purpose to try to get views or something to piss people off because that is not correct. <laughs> but in the comment, she's like, I just looked it up. It's like, nope. <laughs> so, yeah, Brigham City is lit, like right by there. And just before he goes missing, he had contacted his family to let them know that he had this really strange encounter with some man walking barefoot down a gravel road. So this guy is waving his arms at Dylan and he's like trying to get his attention and Dylan feels too bad to not stop. So he does. And this man asked Dylan to borrow his phone and if he could grab a ride. But Dylan is like, "Mm, I just like don't feel comfortable giving you a ride. And so he says no, which good for him. Yeah, he should. I've always said I would never give someone a ride. Two summers ago, I'm driving home from your house in Utah. I'm on the freeway. Did I tell you about this? And I was trying to connect my phone to my car so I could just listen to Bluetooth. And I pulled over on this construction part. And there was a car already pulled over, but there was like a big area you could pull over. So I pulled way in front of him because I'm like, I don't want him thinking I'm stopping for him at all. I'm just trying to Bluetooth my car. He gets out of his car and he starts walking up to my car and I'm panicking because I'm me and obviously I'm scared of everything because I'm obsessed with true crime. He walks, he's coming up to my car and for a moment I start to drive off because I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, you cannot walk up to my car. But then I felt so guilty because I saw him stop and like be like, oh, so I stop and I let him come up to the car. (laughs) 
And I just roll the window down a crack and I'm panicking. And he's like, hey, he has an Amazon shirt on. Like he was just working at the Amazon factory here. And he's like, hey, can I get a ride to my house? I live right off this exit. My car ran out of gas. I thought I would make it off the exit. My phone's dead. So I don't have any way I can get help. And I was like, ah, yeah, that, <laughs> oh sure. Gosh. And in my head, I was like, what are you doing? You're about to die. This is the way you like leave this earth. So he got in the car. I pulled my phone out, dialed 911 just in case. <laughs> and then as I was driving to his house... I was like thinking, okay, if he tries to pull any shenanigans, I'm just going to crash into another car. Like if he pulled a gun out or if he tried to kidnap me in my own car, I would just crash into another <laughs> car. Like I was planning every car that passed by. I'm like, well, I'll that's just rude. <laughs> but like a light crash, but something where it's like, oh, we have to get out. Like they're going to think that's weird if we don't get out. But then I dropped him off and he was so grateful and because his phone was dead and he had no gas. So he was actually so nice. And he was like, there are good people in this world. I was thinking like, there really are. <laughs> there, I was thinking I feel the exact same way. I just dropped you off safely. So I feel like good for Dylan that he didn't give someone a ride <laughs> he was uncomfortable with. Sometimes it works out, but I think this guy was like acting kind of crazy. So it freaked Dylan out. And he had called his family about this encounter and he didn't just tell like one of his family members. He was telling multiple family members. So it's pretty apparent that this situation really like made him weary and he referred to it as a weird run in. And Dylan said that this man was acting strange and erratic, leading Dylan to believe he was probably high on some sort of drug. And I would guess that's the reason Dylan does not give him a ride. Mm hmm. Now, it's just days after Dylan and this man come in contact that this guy is actually seen in Montello, Nevada, asking about Dylan. So Montello must be just on the other side of the border of Nevada. So Lucen's right there. Montello's right there. I read it's about 30 minutes from each other. And it was updated in this case. I just read it today that Dylan is confirmed to last be seen in Montello. So this guy was there asking about that Dylan guy, maybe frustrated that he didn't give him a ride or help him out. And then Dylan is confirmed to last be seen there. Did they know each other? No. How did he know his name? Maybe he wasn't asking about Dylan specifically, but describing him is what I would guess. Okay. Like being like, oh, this kid that drives his truck or something mm. like that. So in the missing persons flyer that one is one of his family friends sent to me asking for me to share, there is a photo of a man who is a person of interest by the name of Chase Venstra. And I'll have this flyer posted on our Instagram and our Facebook page. So please check it out to see if you have any information about Dylan, Chase, and the disappearance. And Dylan's aunt told East Idaho News that she suspects foul play and, quote, he is an old soul, farm boy at heart. All he wants to do is get up and work all day, every day. He isn't interested in partying. He isn't interested in travel. He never dated anyone in high school. He's not your typical 19-year-old. Dylan is missing, and so is his phone and his wallet. And once he was reported missing, Box Elder County posted to their Facebook page that they were searching for Dylan on horseback as well as conducting foot searches that his family was a part of. Dylan's grain truck during some of these searches is found parked in Utah about five miles away from the farm. But Dylan's not in it. Obviously, his phone and his wallet aren't in it. However, his boots have been located about 100 yards from this parked truck. Like in a field? I don't know if it was in a field or if it's just like on the side of the road. Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of all they said was this truck was found and then these boots are confirmed to be his that are found nearby. And I read that those boots were about five miles from the farm. So it's kind of all there in Lucin, which it sounds like is a really small, really, really small town. I mean, he came yeah. across this guy on a gravel road. So like a back country road mm -hmm. it's probably I've never even heard of it yeah and you're from right here so <laughs> it's like tiny 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 
So Dylan's parents together have put up a $20,000 reward for any information that leads to the whereabouts of their son. And this is pretty much all the information that is out about his disappearance right now. They are actively investigating it. So if you have any information or feel that you can aid in this investigation, please call 208-604-3839 or 208-604-3838. And that's really sad. I hope that he's found alive and well. So his family lives in Lucen. No, he was was working working for a dairy farm in Lucin. It looks like his dad lives in Yukon, Idaho. His aunt, who I did a quote from, is in Rigby, Idaho. So right there by me. And then it sounds like his mom is in Twin Falls, Idaho. Okay. Yeah, he's from eastern Idaho and went missing from northern Utah. And they all suspect foul play? The aunt said that she suspects foul play. I think everyone is thinking that it's pretty weird that this encounter happened. But what's crazy to me is like this encounter happens, but then he's fine after the encounter. Like he's able to let his family know about it. Like something like he goes missing a couple of days later. So it, did the cops get that guy? Not yet. I don't think. I think that's why he's on the flyer as a person of interest. So he skipped town. Maybe. <laughs> they don't have, like, all the information I don't, I don't, out. I need more details. I know. Well, that's why we're asking for people to come forward with them, and hopefully they are able to share more information. Obviously, we will update Dylan's story. And I had quite a few people telling me about Dylan's case that are from Idaho Falls because they, you know, know him or know his family. And one of them was my clients. And as me and her were talking... I was letting her know about this other case of a man who goes missing from a dairy farm. And that's kind of how Dylan's case reminded me of this other case that I just recently learned about while listening to Ashley Flowers' new podcast, The Deck. Through one of her episodes, I learn about this other case out of Idaho. And it's crazy that I had no idea about this case because the farm this guy went missing from is one that every single person in living in Idaho Falls knows of. This farm is huge, but I'm willing to bet that most of you never knew it was the last place that Randy Leach was ever seen. It's just after Thanksgiving in 1980 that Richard and Marjorie Leach head down to the Sheboygan County Sheriff's Office near their home in Wisconsin. Their well, head- 1980. 1980. You weren't, no, <laughs> you weren't even born. I know. Close to being born. So 15 years It's before. not a surprise that you wouldn't hear of this story. No, of course. But I feel like being in the true crime world, like I would know about one of the largest farms there in Idaho <laughs> having like a person go missing. And I asked my father-in-law who graduated from high school in 1980 if he had ever heard of it. No. All these people I've asked never heard of it, which you'll see why, because Idaho didn't do a lot. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, 1980, it was a long time ago. Um, Richard and Marjorie, they're heading there because they haven't heard from their son, Randy Leach, in a few weeks. They tell the Sheboygan County Sheriff's Office that they had been eagerly awaiting a call from their son, who is in the middle of hitchhiking across the country, to eventually land at his sister Renee's home. And that's over in Bend, Oregon. The last time they had heard from Randy was on November 6, 1980. This was just a few short weeks earlier, and that day was his mom's birthday. So he called Marjorie to talk with her and catch up, and it's then that he tells her he landed this temporary job at a dairy farm in Idaho Falls owned by Larry Reed. And if you're from here in Idaho Falls listening, you're thinking, oh, Reed's Dairy. I told you it was a big dairy farm that everyone knows. And it's not like they did anything to him. We we don't know what happened. Well, it is like 40 years ago. Yes, it is. But <laughs> it's still like people are actively investigating it. It came up, up again in 2014. It came up again in 2003. You know, like it's gone. It's kind of been brought up, but just a little bit in Idaho. I think the place that has focused on it the most is Wisconsin, which is where Randy Leach is from. 
So Randy, he had told his parents that he had plans to work on the farm for a few weeks before he started making his way over to his sister's house in Oregon. Renee and her husband were in the middle of moving homes and he didn't want to bombard them in the middle of that. So he's like, okay, if I stay a few weeks in Idaho, I can give them a little time to settle in. Then I think I'll head over to California. Maybe I'll stop at a farm there before heading north to Oregon. Richard and Marjorie are happy for Randy that he has found a place to stay and make a little bit of money to help him with his travels. Randy had just called up his dad a couple days earlier on November 4th to ask him to send over his photo ID because Randy didn't bring it along with him and Larry Reed had wanted it in order to hire him. So they were glad to hear that the job was working out, and Richard tells Randy he had gone ahead and sent his ID over to the dairy farm here in Idaho Falls. And at the time they're talking about it on the 6th, that ID was en route. Randy doesn't have a cell phone because it's 1980, so he was making calls back to his parents via payphones along the way at gas stations. He traveled really light because, again, he's hitchhiking, so he doesn't necessarily carry money to pay for all the calls, and he would usually just charge his parents. I don't know how payphones work. I honestly don't even think I've ever used one, (laughs) but... So you can call collect. Okay, so you, like, call, and then they would, like, send a bill to his parents? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's what he is doing. This was fine with them because not only were they able to hear from him, but by charging it to them, they were able to actually keep track of where he was at. So that November 6th day was the last that Richard and Marjorie had heard from Randy before going to the Sheboygan County Sheriff's Office just after Thanksgiving that same month. They were worried at this point because he usually checked in once a week, but as the weeks went on, they assumed that maybe he hit the road again and he just didn't have access to a phone. But he always made a call on holidays, so by the time Thanksgiving passes with no word, they grow worried. And before they head out to file a missing persons report, they first make calls to people like Renee, his sister, and his other siblings, seeing if Randy had ever made it to their homes, had been in contact with them. But no one had heard from him, and that's why they felt it was time to report him as missing. The officer taking this report is like, okay, I understand your concerns, but have you tried reaching out to the last place Randy contacted you from, that dairy farm? And Richard and Marjorie tell him that, yes, in fact, they did reach out. They had called the dairy farm in Idaho Falls, and the call was answered by an employee who said that Randy had actually left the farm, unfortunately leaving no information behind to give them an indication of how to get a hold of him. And Richard says, all right, but I sent him his photo ID. It was sent to your farm. He's asking if it made it there before Randy left. And this employee says, no, actually, Randy left before the ID ever got here. Richard thinks that this is pretty weird, but maybe Randy just forgot, overlooking the fact that he may need his ID along the road for his travels. Well, Anda, was it just a random employee or actually like somebody that knew? I'm not. It was probably like smaller back then. Yeah, all they really said was that he had two farmhands. They don't talk about any other employees. But they have different buildings and stuff. So they probably had, you know, maybe someone that worked like the office or, you know. So I'm not sure who it was. It's just someone on the farm is like, nope, his ID came afterwards. Hmm. Which is weird, but, you know, he's living this nomadic lifestyle. So maybe he just was like, you know what? I'm ready to go. I'm not going to wait around for this. But then his ID would just be lost. I know, exactly. That's why it's so weird. Because it's like, well, if he leaves, like he's hitchhiking. It's not like he's just, you know, conveniently going to be coming back through Idaho Falls. So it is really weird. But with this information, the officer with the Sheboygan County Sheriff's Office agrees that the Leach family has pretty much done everything they could themselves to make contact with their son. And he says he will reach out to Idaho Falls and see if he can find out any information from them. Soon, Sheboygan County makes contact with Bonneville County, who takes the information about Randy not getting in touch with his family, and they say that they will go ahead and interview those on the farm since it was the last place Randy's family knew him to be. 
Detective Clyde Burgess hops in his car and drives out to Reed's Dairy, which is west, sitting just outside of the small town of Idaho Falls, which was a lot smaller in the 80s than it probably is now. Because mm-hmm. now I feel like it's like a small city. Maybe not even a city, but or a large town. <laughs> but it had to have been re- honestly pretty small back then. Lots of farmland. And when Clyde arrives, Larry invites him inside and they start chatting about Randy Leach. Larry is like, yeah, that kid arrived on the farm on November 4th and he was talking about traveling cross cross country and he asked me for a temporary job. I agreed to give it to him in exchange for Mills, a place to stay and a little bit of money. So Randy had agreed to build this shed with Larry. And while he is doing that, he's going to stay in the bunkhouse there on the farm alongside the two farmhands that Larry already had working for him. That night of November 4th, Larry Reed and his wife Carol invite Randy to have dinner with them and the LDS missionaries. So the Reed family is LDS, meaning they're part of the religion called the Latter-day Saints. Members of the church do often have the missionaries over for dinners. They enjoy helping young missionaries out with their meals. So this isn't something uncommon. Many people in Idaho Falls are LDS, which a lot of people think of as Mormon. And But you guys don't really call it Mormon. No, not anymore. Yeah, it's the Church of Jesus Christ of Of Latter-day Saints. Saints. Because it kind of gets tied up with the FLDS, which is a fundamentalist group that's like totally separate. If you've, I've listened to true crime podcasts on Warren Jeffs, that's that. (laughs) So I think like a lot of people combine it in their, like Mormon is just that. Where this, the LDS church is separate of that. It's just, it's funny because... One of the officers from Wisconsin thinks it's like super weird that the Reeds had the missionaries over to talk to Randy, <laughs> but like it's not, it wasn't weird. <laughs> yeah, like in the culture, if you know it, it's yeah, not. It's just because there's so many LDS people in Idaho and Utah that it's like very, that is a very normal. There's a lot of super weird things in this case, but that's not one of them. Like, I was kind of chuckling at that part because he was like, who just has like these people over to talk to him about religion and like, you know, be so like aggressive about it. And it's like, well, I actually think like it's a very normal if you're from here, but might not be viewed as as normal <laughs> if you're not from here. Like, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. that part kind of made me chuckle. There are other weird things in this case, though, for sure. Anyway, the Reeds, the Reed family, the missionaries, and Randy, they all have this meal together. And Randy talks to them about how he is using his travels to discover different religions and different ways of life. So he is actually very interested in asking the missionaries questions. And at the end of their conversation, the missionaries give Randy a Book of Mormon as they head out. And that's kind of what the t- detective thought was really weird. Like, they're going to give him, like, this Book of Mormon after they were just, like, bothering him about the church. Like, who does that <laughs> on, like, the first night meeting someone? But I would assume the missionaries were already coming over to the Reeds for dinner. And Randy was, in fact, very interested in different religions. Not that he wanted to join, but he was... One of his things was learning about different religions and different cultures, So I'm sure he really didn't mind just like asking them about it. And I don't think they're like, hey, you have to do this, you know. Yeah. They just kind of answer questions and whatnot. One unfortunate circumstance in this case kind of surrounding this, though, is that when Randy goes missing, detectives in Idaho Falls, they never actually track down the missionaries to discuss with them how that night went or their impression of Randy. In fact, they don't actually even record their first names they do only refer to them as elders which when you're on a mission they refer to you like if it was me like elder waters or like elder whatever your last name is that's just like i don't need i don't know why do you no it's just no it's just well i wouldn't be elder because i'm a girl it's like sister sister and elder anyway but if they the detective thought it was weird that he met with them and that they gave him a Book of Mormon. Why didn't they look into it? Because that detective's not from Idaho Falls. That detective's from Wisconsin. Idaho Falls, Bonneville County is who went and talked oh. to the Reeds. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. And Bonneville County, at least 
people who went out there, I'm pretty sure, knew Larry Reed. So they just went out to chat. So they don't, you know, get the missionaries' names. They just kind of write down, like, these are the two people who came over. So even investigators now in the future can't track those people down. Hmm. And not that they would necessarily know anything or have anything to do, but, like, what if Randy said something that they don't realize is, like, important or, you know, like well, you could have mentioned. Well, you would be able to track them down. I'm sure the church keeps records of what missionaries go to what area. Possibly. I don't know, 40 years later, how easy it is <laughs> to track down what two but. exact ones went to his house that night. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yeah. if they looked into it sooner. Yeah, but they didn't because Bonneville County didn't <laughs> think it was weird. But it gets weird. Now they, you know, like I said, they don't interview the missionaries. But Larry Reed tells Detective Clyde that he found Randy very nice and he was a very smart young man. He was really intrigued by learning about these different cultures. And then Larry says the next day on November 5th that they continue to work on building the shed. And it's during this day that Larry says Randy mentions that, you know, the snow might be coming in. It is the beginning of November in Idaho, so that's not shocking. There could very well have been snow there already. And if not, it was definitely coming in during November. And it was definitely cold. Uh, Yeah, definitely cold. It is not nice in Idaho Falls in November. It's freezing. Anyway, Larry mentions this to Clyde, saying that the thought of snow coming in had Randy telling him that maybe he would be leaving earlier than he had planned on, but not to worry because he'll definitely stay until the shed was finished. Larry says that Randy then told him he wasn't interested in learning more about the church and that he's not going to join for dinner that night because he's going to fast. And this is just Larry's story. This is what Larry says happened. So keep that in mind. But if Randy was fasting, it doesn't necessarily surprise me because Randy was very drawn to these philosophical or spiritual things. He was drawn to empathize with those who were like starving and those in poverty and those who were suffering. And this comes from his time the year prior in Africa, where he did a lot of volunteer work with refugee camps there. Randy had headed to Africa for college, studying abroad. Initially, after graduating high school, Randy had enrolled at a community college there near his home in Wisconsin, but he soon transferred down to Africa. He was able to do this because during his senior year in high school, he wins this national scholarship contest where he's awarded uh, $10,000 for schooling. He won this through a series of interviews talking about the United States' relations with the Middle East, as well as writing an article about the U.S. arms race. And Randy was always super smart through high school. He was an honor student, and he was excited about studying in Africa. Through that first year, he studied the social sciences. And it's during his time there that he's working with these refugee camps that he's really seeing this completely different culture and this really changes Randy. He actually drops out of that college in Africa because his scholarship was funded by the Shell Oil Corporation and he was like no no never mind I do not want to be a part of exploitation of a third world nation by a big company who doesn't truly care about these people and with that he heads home. His dad and sister have said that when he came home he was different They explain it by possibly being culture shock. It had been really hard for him to witness the circumstances of the refugee camps. And when he comes home, he really dives into this philosophical ideology. This was part of the thing that led him to wanting to hitchhike across the country because he wanted to learn more about these different areas. He was dreaming of like this nomadic lifestyle. Yeah, he seems like such a free spirit. Yeah, that's like I think what he really came into. And I think his like sister and dad probably see that so much as him changing because he was really into his studies and an honor student and like seemed more logical thinking. And then when he goes to Africa, he decides he kind of wants that. Like you said, free spirit. And hitchhikes. Yeah. Wants to like go around. for random jobs. Yeah, exactly. That is not my A-type personality at all. No, it is not. 
So Randy had come home to Wisconsin from Africa in December of 1979, and by the summer of 1980, he gets this job at a dairy farm in Wisconsin, but he only works there for a short while because soon he sees the Carson and Barnes Circus perform, and something about it just resonated with him. He wants to be a part of this community, and so he gets a job with them. He meets a lot of cool people from different walks of life, including a Native American man who taught him about prayer, meetings in their culture. Randy had joined in, and again, this fulfilled him in discovering different cultures, living that free spirit life. And soon, Randy was referring to himself as a born-again Christian. So he works for the circus a few months before officially leaving in October of 1980. We know he then soon is out on his... cross-country hitchhiking journey, leaving for this on November 1st, 1980, and making it to the dairy farm in Idaho by November 4th. And then he makes his last communication with his parents on November 6th. Randy's sister Renee said, quote, it seemed very strange. Randy would never do this to our family. So going back to this time that Larry Reed is talking with Detective Clyde Burgess of Bonneville County. Carol Reed chimes in, saying that on November 6th, the same night he called his mom, his mom's birthday, Carol had asked Randy if he needed any wash done. And he's like, you know what? That would be amazing. So you could wash my jeans for me. I would love that. And she agrees. So she takes Randy's jeans from him, washing them that night. But Randy, he never gets those jeans back from her because on November 7th, 1980, early in the morning, Larry says that he saw Randy walking off away from the farm and then Randy never came back for his stuff. Larry is like, it's about 6.30 or 7 a.m. on November 7th that I wake up and I'm walking to the dairy building from my home. This is when I see Randy walking down the road. He's heading towards Idaho Falls, so he's going east. I didn't realize that he was leaving for good until I go to the bunkhouse and I see that he had packed up all his stuff and it was cleared out. He goes on to say that he found this weird because Randy also never picked up his paycheck that he was there at the farm specifically working for. So Larry goes over to the farm's business office and he figures out how many hours Randy has worked over the last few days. And then he writes a check just in case Randy comes back for it. And he comes back to his house to tell his wife, Carol, that it seems like Randy left and he actually thinks he left for good. And Carol also finds this strange because not only did Randy not pick up that check, but he also didn't pick up the jeans she was washing for him. And Randy traveled light. He pretty much only brought with him one extra pair of clothes on top of the pair he was wearing. So why wouldn't he have taken those jeans back? I'm especially curious why he wouldn't have picked up the check. That is a red flag. Definitely, right? Like Maybe he those missionaries scared him off. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but that was the very first night. And then he leaves like three days later. The couple takes that check that Larry wrote out for Randy along with the jeans. And they stash them away, probably along with the ID that shows up at their farm. And they just put that stuff somewhere just in case Randy comes back. And Detective Clyde is like, all right, that sounds good. Was there like any confrontation here at the farm? Did Randy have any issues with anyone? And Larry says, of course not. However, he was pretty harsh with him about his workmanship and his skills just weren't great. So Larry says, maybe I made him feel discouraged. So he decided to just go off abruptly. And maybe that is true. I mean, this isn't a job that Randy is needing for the long term. Maybe he decides he's better off just leaving instead of trying to get his stuff or trying to get his check because his feelings are hurt or he feels like Larry didn't appreciate him. So he's like, screw it. I'm out of here. I don't think it's likely to be the case. I was going to say, but still, you'd want your check. You want your check at least. Yeah. Like, okay, you're rude. Like, not super likely. I don't feel that it's my number one thought of what happened, but it doesn't seem completely unlikely. After this conversation that Clyde has with the Reeds, he lets detectives in Sheboygan County know that there's nothing going on here as far as he could tell. Randy just left on his own volition on November 7th, 1980. So Wisconsin and Idaho, they both tell the Leach family that the best thing they can do is just wait for Randy to contact them. He's traveling across the country. Don't be so worried about all of this. He'll call you soon. 
So Richard and Marjorie, they waited out for a week or so, but by December 1st, 1980, they just can't keep waiting. They have a feeling in their gut that this is not normal. Randy would not leave them hanging like this for almost a month. And Richard makes his way back down to the Sheboygan County Sheriff's Office again to reiterate all of his concerns. This time, he's talking with Robert Thurman, who he is actually friends with. And Robert tells Richard that Randy does have the right to keep him keep to himself. He has the right to be away from home. He is an adult. But because they are friends, Robert agrees to check around. Not much comes with that, honestly. Not even a full-on investigation is done. Police are believing that Randy continued his travels, and they also let the Leach family know that it's winter there. So maybe through these travels, Randy succumbs to the elements, and if that's the case, his body may be hidden in the winter weather. Maybe they will have to wait until all the snow is melted to figure out where he's at. But his parents don't want to believe that, and they also want the police to do more. But if they won't actively investigate this, Richard and Marjorie will just do it themselves with the help of their own family. Randy's parents make phone calls to different sheriff's office in different states. They make contact with a police station in Bend, Oregon, where Randy was supposed to eventually arrive at his sister's house, and they agree to file a missing persons report there just to keep Randy's face on the record for the different law enforcement offices. So reports are filed in Wisconsin, Oregon, and even Boise, Idaho, which is four hours west of Idaho Falls. But you know where a missing persons report is never filed and still not filed to this day? Idaho Falls. Yep, Bonneville Bonneville County. County. Yeah, the actual place Randy went missing from, no missing persons report. Is it because they think he just left? They say he just left. Oh, they don't They don't think they think. They think they know. That he just left. Yeah. <laughs> Have you watched Yellowstone? No, but <laughs> everyone has told me to. Is it good? It's right around. It's well, like based I mean, in Wyoming, it's right? It's like, you know, farm life and they have yeah. ranch hands and mm-hmm. they have a bunkhouse and they have oh, a bunch really? of men and lots of men go missing. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. And when they're missing, they drive them out to the border of Wyoming and dump them off the side of the road and Hmm. that's where a bunch of bodies are yeah exactly (laughs) honestly I find this all very suspicious but (laughs) I don't know what happened so Yellowstone giving us clues (laughs) no I need to watch that everyone has said it's like super good so Oregon like I said they file one and it's uh, state police sergeant Keith Taylor that says his agency was contacted in 1980 to see if Randy was seen at his destination in Bend which obviously he's not seen at his destination in Bend because that's where his sister lives so if he was seen there he would be with his sister quote we put out the initial missing persons report but our part was really limited end quote which, of course, their part was limited. He never made it to Oregon. Right. Whether he did leave Idaho Falls or not, he didn't make it to Oregon. (laughs) But they were still willing to help. Now, on top of their many phone calls, uh, Randy's parents also write letters to different groups in places across states like Oregon, Nevada, Utah, Idaho, and California. They write to religious groups, cult groups, reservations, national parks, businesses along the routes Randy may have taken. But time and time again, they are reaching dead ends. Richard and Marjorie go as far as to call different law enforcement agencies asking if any bodies had shown up matching the description of their son. And it's January in January of 1981, just a couple months after Randy is reported missing in Wisconsin, that two of his uncles head out west searching for him. They take posters with them that feature a photo of Randy claiming him as a missing person and asking for information, and they hang these posters all over Idaho, California, Oregon, and Nevada. During this time, Randy's family is receiving many phone calls coming in over and over again, and they get these calls, they answer, yet no one talks on the other line. So they can tell someone is on the other line, but no one's speaking. And there's a time that Marjorie believes this is absolutely her son calling. Michelle, one of Randy's sisters, had told an officer that in high school, they would make these calls from payphones to let their parents know they were ready to be picked up from whatever they may be at. 
And I guess she says that if you put money into the payphone, you were able to speak on the phone. But if you had no money, you could still make the call, yet no one would hear you speaking on the other line. So in high school, they obviously weren't carrying around money with them to just spend on these calls. So they would just make a silent call to their parents, and then Marjorie would know that they were ready for her to come grab them. Hmm. I, I don't know how that works if other people have had that experience of like you can call and it's silent no one can hear you i don't know i mean usually you could call collect but usually it's like hi you're getting a collect call from and then you say your name Mm. yeah and then that says you can accept the charges or hang up if you don't want to so maybe they did it that way it seems that they weren't getting the like they weren't getting charged for it So that probably means that someone on the other line was paying for it. Yeah. And then calling. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think just this mind, like that mindset of like, oh, like they made these silent calls to me like in high school, like maybe, you know, maybe this really is him calling over and over again, but they couldn't figure out why. But they, Marjorie, along with the rest of the Leach family, they talk to the caller on the other end as if they are Randy, hoping that one day he will speak to them. And they take this as a sign that he is still alive. It's sad to me because maybe it was Randy, but unfortunately, we live in a world where we know people love to do these like hoax calls, these prank calls. And uh, Randy's dad was even a victim to one of these calls where a man calls claiming to be Randy, but Richard knows his son's voice and he believes that was a hoax. And eventually the family, they realize that this probably is not Randy because though he probably did not have money if he was continuing his travels, he had been able to make phone calls to them without money by charging his parents. And that's part of the reason they were able to keep track of him. They didn't understand why he would just continue to call, not say say anything, and not charge them for the call. And again, I personally believe it probably was not Randy. Marjorie had been doing everything she believed the police should be doing, but were refusing to do. And she makes a trip in early 1981 to Idaho Falls with Richard so that they can search the area themselves. The Reed's Dairy Farm does allow them to look around the farm, but they find nothing. They drive around Idaho Falls and different states. They're searching themselves the routes that they feel Randy may have taken out of Idaho if he did leave. And they make a discovery that sinks their hearts into their stomachs. This was the first time they realized that Bonneville County had never filed a missing persons report for Randy Leach. This information is devastating to them because this is the place that Randy was last seen alive. So on May 3rd, 1981, the leeches send a letter to the Bonneville County Sheriff's Office stating that they're frustrated there was never a missing persons report filed. And they want to know the answers to more questions. Like what time did Randy specifically leave the dairy farm? Did Larry talk to Randy? Otherwise, what made Larry believe the person he saw walking away was in fact Randy? How much was the check Randy was supposed to pick up? And whatever happened to the check? And what happened to Randy's jeans? Because his parents never got them back from the Reed family. And the leeches end this letter by saying that they are not trying to assume anything bad happened on the farm or that anyone did anything. They just need more information on everything that was looked into. And they request that there is an official missing persons report filed in Bonneville County. But the sheriff for Bonneville County at that time doesn't take the letter too seriously. He sort of just shrugs it off to the side. And he's like, you know what? He responds saying, I'm sorry. There was just a miscommunication that we would have filed a missing persons report. I mean, there's already a missing persons report filed in Oregon, in Boise and Wisconsin. So it's very well covered. We do not need to also file one. We also have no religious cults in the area, so there's nothing to be worried about with Randy falling into one while he was in Idaho Falls. On top of all of that, it is clear that Randy left Idaho Falls of his own free will and in no danger. Quote, the Reeds, who are very good members of our community, state that the only problem Randy had was his uncertain thoughts on religion. End quote. And I like didn't really understand what he's saying because it's like, A, how is that like Randy's problem? 
he can want to learn about like many religions if he wants. And then B, Bonneville County bases all their information on just taking Larry Reed's word for it. That's what I'm baffled on. Like you have one witness. One person. That says he saw him walking away. Like, did you go talk to anyone else? Exactly. They're just taking his word for it. And I think it's very first in this case indicated here with that quote they are very good members of our community. Okay, so is that why you're just taking their word for it? Because there are great members of the community who might not tell you the truth. Like, right. And I'm not saying that they're not. I mean, Reed's Dairy is literally huge in Idaho Falls. I don't want to say they are not good people. I'm sure they're great people. But yeah, like, but just investigate a little more. Inve- yeah. Get more details. Exactly. Just like the family wanted to know. Like, tell yeah. us, give us more details. Like, people aren't going to be suspicious. If you investigate it more and give us the answers we're looking for. Anyway, at the one-year anniversary of Randy's disappearance, there's this article released in Sheboygan County titled, Where is Randy Leach? And it dives into all the information surrounding his disappearance. People did want to know where he went, what could have happened to him. He was smart. He was hardworking. He was a loving young man. But there's still no answers. It's the summer of 1983 that Richard and Marjorie make their third trip out here to Idaho, California, and Oregon. And Richard is desperate for answers. He drives over 4,000 miles in the span of a couple weeks. And this is the first time Idaho media really spreads information about Randy's disappearance. But still, this trip really brings no answers. It was during that third trip that Richard is meeting with some different cults or philosophical groups to see if Randy maybe fell in with them. He believes his nomadic spirit may have been easily swayed by groups like this. So Richard, he's heading to Boise where he's going to meet up with a group called the Rainbow Family, which is not like a religious group, but it's a group that meets up regularly on forest service land. I don't know if that's like they're trying to get what's forest service land. Just like the federal, I don't know really, is it the federal government <laughs> owns the land? Yeah, I don't. I didn't know if they were like, like protesting stuff in the forest or if they met out there just because they like love the nature or what. But like it was just a group that Richard saw and thought that Randy might be drawn to because he was really into that stuff. He thought this because Randy really hated the materialism in our culture and regardless of Richard's efforts, he doesn't find anyone who recognizes Randy in this group. So maybe he joined the Christ family, which is a cult that was present in the 80s out here in the West. And one of their main things was to encourage their members to cut communication with their parents. So could this have been why Randy would not make contact with them? There were multiple families across the United States trying to save their grown children from this group, trying to find them, trying to make contact with them again. These members actually take on the last name of Christ. So, like, they switch their last name to be Christ, the Christ family. And, <laughs> yeah, oh I know. Gosh. I was just thinking, why would any group encourage their members not to have communication Cults. with their parents? Yeah. It's so stupid. It's like, pl- guys, telltale sign of a cult. Because they're usually preying on vulnerable people. People who, like want to belong somewhere people looking for something searching for themselves and then like it's so easy for them to manipulate these people who like aren't dumb i i listened to a thing that was like people who join cults aren't dumb they're people who are like just searching for themselves and then they get tied up in these things and usually they're able to manipulate them because they pull them from family it's like being in a toxic relationship (laughs) Like where they try to like separate you from your family. Yeah. And this is what these cults do. So obviously this cult does sound kind of creepy. We should look into it and do a (laughs) do a case on it because I don't even think we've done a cult yet. So I don't find it likely that Randy joined one of these cults. Again, I kind of said that with the last theory. I do think it's possible because he was on this journey to find himself he was empathetic to people and he was a well he was empathetic to the vulnerable people and he was also vulnerable himself again it's not number one in my mind but it is not a bad path to actually investigate it was right. only his family who investigated it 
Well, yeah. yeah. They're probably just looking for any Anything. Avenue. Yeah. Everything they could. Because that would be into. devastating. We always say this with missing persons. Yeah. Like not knowing. Not knowing. Is, I think would be harder than oh. actually knowing. Oh, definitely. So regardless of all the efforts Richard and Marjorie put into fighting their son, answers never come. Years go by, and in 1989, Randy's mom, Marjorie, dies without ever finding Randy. And I feel so bad for Richard because that's only nine years from the time they lose their son and can't find these answers to the time that his wife dies, leaving him alone to fight this battle on his own. Richard has said before Marjorie's passing that he cries a lot thinking about Randy and that it was really hard on his wife, which is so sad. And then more years pass without answers and honestly, without much effort in Randy's case from anyone except his own family. In 1993, 13 years after that missing persons report is filed, Robert Thurman decides to check out the case again. Remember, this is Richard's friend who had taken reports on the case with the Sheboygan County Sheriff's Office. Robert had retired from the force years before 1993, but he often thought about Richard and Randy and he wanted to take up the case again. Maybe he could help now that he had more time on his hands. And with that, Robert travels to Idaho. His plane lands at the airport in Salt Lake City, Utah, and he then makes the three-hour drive north to Idaho Falls, where he calls up Larry Reed on September 27, 1993. And Larry invites Robert over to his home that same day. They chat about Randy sitting at Larry's kitchen table. And Larry's demeanor is calm when he tells Robert that it was 5 or 5.30 that morning when he was awake doing paperwork. He walked over to the kitchen sink and as he looked outside, this is when he sees Randy walking away, again east towards town. And then he's like, yeah, it's a pretty crazy situation. I was worried about Randy, so I went out driving looking for him, but I was never able to find him. We had his check in his jeans, but he never came back. So what happened to those jeans? Questions were never answered about what Larry and Carol ended up doing with them. Did they throw them away? Because Bonneville County never collected them as evidence. And I also read in an article that Larry reported that Randy also left his backpack there. Hmm. So what happened to all this stuff? Also, did you notice how the story is slightly different? I'm not saying that Larry Reed had anything to do with Randy's disappearance, but we do have to look at the information presented and a change in a story is always a red flag. So originally it was 6.30 or 7 a.m. when Larry said he had seen Randy while he was walking from his home to the dairy building. Now, 13 years later, it's 5.30 a.m. when he sees Randy walking away through his kitchen window. And now he's saying he went out looking for him as well. I've also seen it reported that at some point, Larry says he actually drove Randy down the road to a hitchhiking location, drops him off there, and then he never sees him again. An article in the Idaho Statesman says, quote, Leach worked on the farm for a couple days before grabbing a ride home from the landowner to the junction so he could hitchhike to his sister's house, end quote. I mean, Bonneville County never investigated the information given. They took Larry's word for it, and that's that. That's all that was ever done. Hmm. That's not good. I know. I mean, I, we've said it before. Truthful stories usually stay pretty much the same, even if it is years later. Like, big things don't change. Like, oh, all of a sudden you went out to drive around and look for him. Or you dropped him off hitchhiking. Yeah. Like, big things like that, just usually, it's weird. But again, maybe he doesn't remember 13 years later. Yeah, I could see myself doing that. I never remember anything. It's during that same trip in 1993 that Robert goes to the Bonneville County Sheriff's Office to gather information. So on top of doing a background check on the reeds that turns up nothing, Robert learns that Bonneville County had no records of the disappearance. The only thing left is old newspaper clippings. No reports were kept, or maybe they were lost. The current Bonneville County Sheriff's Office told the DEC podcast investigative team that there was a flood in their office at some point, and that's likely the reason that the records were lost. 
so Robert gets no information here either. Paul Wilde was a deputy when Leach was reported missing. He hadn't gone to that initial call and honestly forgot about Randy's case until he was contacted by Sheboygan County in 2014. Paul originally tries to pull up the original detective's notes from the 1980 case, but found only a blank microfiche, microfiche, I don't know how you say that, which is some form of storing document and like that uses photographs viewed through like a special machine, which they must not have that special machine still. Not sure what all that means. And he said, quote, all we have now are clippings from the Deseret News end quote. So again, just old newspaper clippings. No police notes, no nothing. So did anyone ever answer what they did with their the pants? No. I I I probably would have thrown them away too. I throw everything away. I know. I do too. But yeah, like why didn't the police take that? Like you're going to investigate a kid being missing, just take the stuff. Well, they they literally thought he left. <laughs> Try to get in contact. I don't know. It's so weird. But yeah, they literally do think he just left. Now, before Robert heads back to Wisconsin, he's able to find a farmhand who worked for the Reeds at the time Randy was there. This man was named Don, and he says he did see Randy in the bunkhouse that morning on November 7th. And that's all he knows. He saw him, and then he never saw Randy again. Only two weeks after Randy left the farm, so did Don saying he just needed a better paying job. Robert didn't get much information out of this either. And Clyde, the detective who originally interviewed the farmhands and the Reeds, had retired in 1981 and by 1993 had passed away. So he can't even talk to the original detective who interviewed Mm -hmm. everybody. And I think the only detective, because I don't think they looked into it more than the one time. So, Robert comes to the conclusion that Randy probably left the farm on his own. However, he admits he cannot find a shred of evidence that factually shows that. And again, Randy's case goes cold. So, 10 years go by, and then in 2003, Robert Thurman dies. It's then that Randy's name comes back into investigators' minds because Robert's wife comes across Randy's case file when going through his things, And she doesn't want to just get rid of it, so she takes it to the Sheboygan County Sheriff's Office and hands it over. Detectives want to look more into the case, so they gather two of Randy's sister's DNA just to see if it could ever be tied to someone. Maybe tied to someone who's already died, tied to someone who's already in the system, but it doesn't connect to anyone. And by 2014, detectives entered the family DNA into CODIS and the Center for Human Identifications. But again, nothing links to Randy still to this day. There was a bunch of articles done around this time on Randy's disappearance, and I came across a lot of them. And the thing that bothers me is that the articles here in Idaho make so many factual statements that are not fact. They also won't say what farm it is. They just say a dairy farm. It's like, we know what dairy farm is was owned by Larry Reed. We're not dumb. Oh, my. I just, like, was reading them and getting kind of annoyed because it's like, I mean, you don't have to call the guy out. I'm not saying he killed this kid, but, I mean, that is the farm he went missing from. It's a, That's a fact, or, you know? <laughs> so... Some of these statements are made by Paul Wilde, who at the time around 2015 was the sheriff here in Bonneville County, and some statements are just made by the people writing the articles. But again, why in the world are we spreading information that's literally not fact? For example, Paul says in some of these interviews that the farmer and his farmhands were all interviewed and completely cleared of any wrongdoing. And I just want to know how. How were they cleared completely of any wrongdoing? Farmer and farmhands. How? Like, what did you ask them? And they were like, no, we we don't know what happened. And you were like, okay, you're cleared. <laughs> like, yeah, I think they just, you know, he was a free spirit, had this nomadic life. And I think they just chalk it like, up to right. that. Yeah. Like, okay, he's gone. Well... Paul also had worked with Clyde Burgess, and he was the one who, you know, I said passed away, but had originally 
talked with these people. And at some point he says he just knows his custom was to vet every interview and make sure nothing was missed. And through these interviews, Randy seems to have just continued his trip out to Oregon. Again, just wondering how this conclusion was made. What I'm wondering is, is there one single person who saw Randy ever again? Who saw him hitchhiking? Who saw him walking down the road? Like, there has not been one single person that has come forward. So, I just think, like, you have to start looking where he was last seen alive and then work your way out to that. One of the articles had said, quote, No one knows what happened to Randy Leach after November 7th, 1980, when he was last seen near an Idaho Falls dairy farm, end quote. So, like, again, it just kind of separates it. Like, he was near it, but he was gone. (laughs) But that's just because the dairy farm owner told you that. (laughs) Which, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I don't know. And I mean, obviously, that family has a good reputation yeah and they still do yeah like i would i have nothing bad to say about them i have more bad to say about the investigation into (laughs) randy's disappearance you know Mm -hmm. like they are they do have a good reputation when they say they're good members of the community they literally still are today i mean larry reed has actually died at this point but because he was pretty old he was in his 40s at this time so And he actually died kind of young from cancer, which is sad. But yeah, it's like they do have a good reputation. There's a quote that says, The only thing Bonneville County Sheriff Paul Wilde can say for sure is that no one on the farm hurt Leach. With no suspects and no trail, all that's known is that Leach left the farm after staying there for two days. Which again, just semi-annoyed with it being presented as fact. Like, all he can say. Like, how do they know nobody hurt him? Exactly. Like, they do not report. We didn't hurt him. Nope. Yeah. That's all. That's how they know. By asking. Okay. Like, it comes back on the 1980 Bonneville County Sheriff's Office. <laughs> we're not investigating it right. And for me personally, it comes down to a few things that I think it could be. Of course, I find it strange that the stories have changed. Of course, I side eye anyone who is the last person to see someone alive and I'm not saying that the Reeds or Larry specifically had anything to do with Randy's disappearance but I can say that I don't know for a fact that they did not. Now I was talking to my husband about this case asking him if he had ever heard of it. Jacob pointed out a good theory to me so sure maybe something malicious or intentional could have happened but what Jacob said made so much more sense. So what if like an accident happened on the farm, like a dangerous work environment or something caused harm to Randy unintentionally, something that could have shut down the farm, could have bankrupt them, could have taken everything. What if nothing happened with ill intent, but the scare of the consequences led to hiding of led to the hiding of what truly happened? And I do find that somewhat believable. Not that I am necessarily saying that's what happened, but it's like there's several right yeah i mean he really could have just left literally yeah like we said earlier literally could have just left never wanted to be heard from again yeah or he could have left and yeah someone murdered him right but jacob was saying like osha was involved like was around in the 1980s and i looked that up and confirmed it and he was just like really he was telling me like really think like what would you do if your whole life was going to be like shut down everything was going to be taken from you like what would you do i mean i would definitely let people know so this these parents were not living without their kid (laughs) yes forever but you know so not that that happened but i was just when i'm thinking of like thinking oh did he really leave the farm if he didn't i would think it would be air more on the side of something like this Mm. but honestly who knows so another very good theory is that Randy could have left that day and caught a ride hitchhiking. We know today that this is an extremely dangerous form of traveling and Randy could have met foul play through this. Maybe he was picked up by the wrong person, wrong place, wrong time. Because I always think that when people are hitchhiking, it's like, well... Were there any serial killers around that time? There were, actually. (laughs) In Idaho? Yeah. 
passing on I, May 25th or whatever it was. Yeah, you literally, that like sparked a memory that I did read on Reddit that there was a serial killer operating around Idaho during this <laughs> time. And I was reading comments about it possibly being connected to that. So like, obviously hitchhiking is dangerous. And he did leave really early in the morning. So if he left and just immediately met with someone who was dangerous, like that's who picked him up then it would be very likely that no one else saw him. Well, if he really did leave early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> did he leave? Did he not? I do not know. Anyway, I don't know what happened to Randy, but I know a lot of you listening live here in the Idaho Falls area. And if you do have any information, Wisconsin is actively investigating Randy's case. If you have ever heard something about this, if you know anything, if you saw something, if you saw a guy out that day in 1980 hitchhiking, let Sheboygan County know. You can call them at 920-459-3111. Randy Leach's case was featured on that podcast, The Deck, because it is such a cold case that he is a part of a group of missing people featured on a deck of cards handed out in jails. This is in hopes that an inmate may see it and have information leading to a break in these very cold cases. Randy is the four of hearts in Idaho. His full name is Randall Leach. He's five foot eight inches tall. He weighed around 140 pounds. He had blue eyes and brown wavy hair. He was 20 years old when he left his home in Howard's Grove, Wisconsin on November 1st, 1980. And it was November 6th, 1980 when he made last contact with his family from a dairy farm in Idaho Falls. The Idaho cold case tip line is 1-844-TIP-4040. The bottom of the card that Randy is featured on says that inmates who come across his card can use their local reporting system or speak to an officer if they have any information in the disappearance of Randy Leach. 